Hello, hello everybody and welcome on The Barricades. This is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics and I am your host, Maria Cernat, an academic based in Bucharest, Romania. And with me, we have today Ben Burgess, an academic who teaches at Georgia State University, author of many books uh, like Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left, and The Media Personality. He is invited to a lot of political talk shows and I am so grateful that he could join us today. Thank you for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. The war in Ukraine we discussed in the first part of the segment, not the truth, but actually the fallacies, the logical fallacies that are being put forward by Russian authorities, by Western authorities, since Ben is a trained logician, he teaches critical thinking and he wrote books and articles on that topic. Uh, We invited him to discuss some of the things that we tend to accept and to take for granted, like the fact that if you are pro-Ukraine, you have to be pro-Zelensky. If uh, uh, Ukraine has a problem with the far right, then it has to be invaded. And a lot of these sentences and of this discourse that serves as a shield and as a justification tool for the elites and especially for the political elites to to, um, move forward with their actions. Now, let us go back to to analyzing some of the the fallacies that are being put forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one that I like very much would be something like this. The representatives of Russian authorities criticize NATO you criticize NATO, you must be a representative of the Russian authorities that is very or in line with them, isn't it? So this is so oftenly, I mean, the minute you criticize NATO, people have like a mental reflex to tell you something like this. They don't have the, the rational ability to take it down into sentences and to see that it doesn't follow because you're arguing backwards with all, right? You're, you're just uh, inferring something based um, on, um, on a type of fallacy that is quite common, right? Yeah, I mean, this, this actually, right, that one seems like a version of the uh, uh, undistributed middle fallacy. So if, if, I, if I say um, all cats are animals, all dogs are animals, therefore all cats are dogs, you know, that they, that, you know, what's, what's wrong with that, right, is, is that, um, you know, just because the first thing is part of some category, the second thing is part of that same category, that, that doesn't tell you anything yet, right, you know, about uh, the relationship between the first thing and the, and the second thing. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing here, you know, you're saying that, okay, people who, who support, you know, the Russian government's position, of course, are going to be critical, you know, they know because that's their enemy, you know, but, uh, but that by itself doesn't mean that people who criticize, you know, NATO or are supporters of the Russian government position any more. I mean, you know, you might as well say that everybody who's, um, you know, that oh, if you're, you know, if if you're critical of of Putin or the invasion, that means that, uh, you know, that means that you must love NATO and you know and uh, and and you know you you must support the U.S. government or you know support Zelensky or whatever, right? You know that they, uh, you know, none of it, you know, none of it follows. And and it is really, 
I mean, it is really important because I mean, it goes back to that false dilemma that you were talking about at the end of the first segment that there there isn't. Uh, you know, it, it is it is very often possible and important, you know, to uh, to be opposed uh, to uh, to two things uh, to two things at once. You know, there's there's no reason. You know, like that. So, sure, you're critical of something that you know somebody else for their own reasons is critical of. I mean, if they if you know whatever Tony Soprano and his rival Bob Boss, you know Johnny Sack, or you know are 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 fighting, right? I mean, just just because you say that you know you say that tony is a murderer right that doesn't mean that you support johnny you know and uh and you know the other way around at hope yes and i'm glad you brought that up because the accusation of what aboutism goes like this if you criticize for instance the ace of battalions or if you say something about the u.s invasion in iraq then um you are accused of uh, justifying what Putin is doing by um, what the U.S. did in Iraq. So basically, you justify one evil by another. Uh, I don't think that if you are an observer, I mean, if Putin would say something like this mm. right mm. now, that would be a way to justify his own actions and to say he's not a murderer because also uh, the U.S. Um, uh, presidents were murderers, right? So he has no right to say that. And that would be a, 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 an okay example. But when me or you as observers, we say that both Putin and Bush Jr., were involved and have on their hands the blood of the Ukrainians and the Iraqi people is not uh, what aboutism, right? Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, the like so, right? When people are asked to define what aboutism, uh, the definition they'll give is really the definition of the um, uh, Tukoque fallacy, which is uh, Latin for you also, right? You know, it's it's the you know, which basically says you're a hypocrite, therefore you're wrong. That they, uh, so, mm -hmm. um, if actual what about is by that definition would be if you, it would be if, if you said, um, you know, well, um, you know, Biden says that the invasion of Ukraine is wrong, but Biden supported the war in Iraq, so, so he's wrong, right? You know, when, when he says this is wrong, okay, that would be what about is it, but just saying. Hold on, did Biden support the war in Iraq? You know, what, what are the what are the consistent standards here? That's not what aboutism at all. I mean, that that's just that's just trying to be consistent. I mean, they have uh, and in fact what disturbs me is I've very I've very often started to see people throw around the accusation of what aboutism, even when they're responding to people who explicitly say that they don't support the invasion. Well, if what aboutism is supposed to be bringing up the crimes of others to deflect from criticism, but you yourself are criticizing the thing, you're clearly not trying to deflect it, right? You're trying to do something else. And I think there are lots of good reasons to bring up Iraq when you're talking about Ukraine. I mean, for one thing, uh, I, I mean, like I say, in the in the top half, I I, I think it is incredible. Right to to see Western media, you know, making these discoveries like you know, like like dropping cluster bombs in you know populated areas is a war crime, and and I think it's really important to remind people of this 
not just because what happened in the past deserves condemnation, although it does, but because what happened, we all know that what happened in the past will continue to happen in the future. You know, that that's this, this is not, um, you know, this is not a one-time thing. Anybody who, who has any passive familiarity with the, the, the long, long list of, of invasions and bombings and coups and, you know, et cetera, that have happened, you know, since World War II, say, like, uh, knows that there will be more rocks in the future. And, and if you can get, and if you can get people who are righteously angry about, you know, cluster bombing of Ukrainian cities or about all the refugees that have been created or all of this, which is all true. Well, next time the United States, you know, bombs and invades uh, some, some country and creates tons of refugees and et cetera, right? Like I'd, I'd like people to be reminded of this. Uh, and, and I think that it, it makes perfect sense to, uh, it makes perfect sense to, to bring that up. And, and it's also, and also, I mean, I guess this is what you were saying earlier. Like, it, I mean, if, you know, I think there's also something a little bit deceptive about the charge of whataboutism because if somebody, if, so, if person A brings up something terrible, you know, that, that someone else is doing, and person B says, well, what about this other thing, right? Well, is that, a, is that a relevant response or not? It depends what person A's agenda was when they brought it up in the first place. So if all they were doing is just pointing to it and saying that's bad, then sure, it's irrelevant, right? But, they, but usually they really weren't. Like even in the original, you know, Cold War examples, I mean, people would, you know, right-wing anti-communists would bring up the terrible things the Soviet Union did. They weren't just bringing them up to say they were bad and then conclude nothing further, right? They were bringing them up in order to, you know, push the argument that their side of the Cold War was righteous and just because it was it was stopping it, right? So if, and if that's their conclusion, then, then saying, well, what about Vietnam? What about Allende? All that stuff is actually extraordinarily relevant, you know, because uh, you can't, like, if you're deciding, you know, whether one of these sides deserves support, then bringing up the crimes of one in response to the recitation of the crimes of the other is actually completely relevant. It's, it's, it's you have to do that because you can't you can't evaluate which is worse without without looking at all the evidence and um, and certainly I mean again go back to the Tony Soprano Johnny Sack example you know if, if, if Tony says oh you should support me because Johnny is a murderer then bringing up all the people that Tony has murdered is extremely relevant and that's exactly what's going on when somebody says oh Putin you know Putin is evil the war is evil therefore you should support you know an expanded and more aggressive NATO around, you know, around the world, uh, then at that point, it's like, well, okay. So if that's the conclusion that I should definitely be bringing up, um, everything, everything objectionable that, that, you know, the United States or NATO has done, because those are going to be extremely relevant to evaluating that conclusion. Of course. I mean, um, I've seen people that are so enraged, but of you know, I tend to be empathetic, even though I got really mad these days and I got into some fights with some people and they were close. But um, you discuss from a very detached perspective. You are miles away, whereas me, Romania, I'm thinking, wow, are we going to go to war? I will have to leave my house. What would I do with the cats? <laughs> would I become a refugee? <laughs> and uh, since I am so close to this, right. 
it's even more, you know, troubling. And yeah. uh, it was not my main focus. I mean, I'm interested in feminism, critical media studies, but since, uh, you know, the situation evolved in such a way that uh, we devoted here on the barricade a lot of programs to analyzing the situation because there's... No way people are going to listen right now to debates on uh, feminism. Right. And I will get to that. Uh, but uh, another argument, very interesting one. Uh, everything the Russian authorities say is false. We established that this is why we banned it, because they are the source of false claims, right? Now, the Azov battalions are discussed by the Russian authorities. So... Any reference to the Azov Battalion must be false. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> so this is a, a valid argument, but it is based on a false premise because this time around, the Russian authorities are not lying, unfortunately. These people exist. Right. They were trained. And there is a very interesting article in your dearest source of the truth, that is the New York Times, that says that the Russian military was and the political elites in the U.S. were considering training rebels here in Romania and sending them to Ukraine. And this is just hair-raising mm -hmm. because just imagine what kind of people they would train here. Right. I want to switch a little bit gears and to, to go to the reaction of the left. Mm -hmm. uh, from what I gather, you have two camps, basically, that one mm. is mainly represented by the Young Turks and the mm. other one, the Grey Zone, right? I, I say that this is the two poles of the, the two, what should I say, mm. the two directions, and they are quite opposite. Now, um, or not, because... No, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I think I think that's probably right. I mean, I, I have, I haven't... I haven't watched uh, very many, much of either of them, uh, so so I, I I mostly know what I see. I see people from either say it on social media. Uh, I uh, but I but but certainly but certainly those are, um, you know. But but certainly the the gray zone stuff that I've seen has been very tilted towards like. Um, and again, I'm just I'm just going by what I've seen people say on social media, you know. But like the gray zone people's reactions I've seen have been very tilted towards like either maybe Russia was doing is okay, or if it's or if it's not, you know, that'll sort of be uh, muttered under their breath, you know, like a, in, in passing, right? You know, while 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 focusing on on sort of making it sound like it's not that bad. And yeah, the sort of reaction, like I said, I, I haven't I haven't seen too much of it, but I think that the, um, you know, I, I think this sort of what I would imagine the Young Turks uh, stuff probably is 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 very is very very focused on what's wrong with uh, you know with with the you know with the Russian invasion in ways that like you know I would probably make a different choice because I think that that's just so like. I mean, I think if you go so far in the other direction that it doesn't sound like you're really against it, right? You know, that, that I, I think that's both morally and strategically inappropriate. But if you, but I also don't think it makes a lot of sense to spend all of your time talking about why the Russian invasion is bad because everybody already agrees with that. 
Yeah, so you're just chanting. So basically, you're repeating the same thing all over, over and over again. And um, also, there is this interesting case that I want to uh, ask you because mm. all I see, you know, are just reactions, but you are mm. a little bit closer to the whole thing, the mm. Mersheimer, Mersheimer uh, mm -hmm. situation. So. What about it? Because he put forward quite an interesting perspective. Now, for the viewers, this uh, is a professor, a well-known academic, who put forward a theory related to international relations and the role of the U.S. in this international relations, saying that it would have been very um, dangerous to push Russia into the arms of China mm. and that uh, he actually said because I watched that lecture he mm. said that Lavrov and Putin are very good strategists and uh, now from what I gather they are being smeared he's being smeared and he's called the Russian enabler I think from my perspective and I want you to comment maybe mm. to call him a Russian agent would have been a little bit you know, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, right, so of course. You call it Russian enabler or supporter, as if Vladimir Putin called him and he said, I need you to enable <laughs> me and then <laughs> I will go ahead and invade, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the whole thing's very strange. Like, I think, I mean, I think, I guess the best criticism I've heard of the sort of, international relations realism kind of school that somebody like Marshammers uh, is part of is that sometimes it's not clear enough on the difference between just sort of giving a descriptive analysis of what's happening, right? And and sounded like it, uh, uh, you know, and, and sounding like, you know, if they justified it or sounding like at the very least it's sort of... Uh, taking away some of the age, like agency of of Putin and other Russian decision makers as if they're only reacting to things that the West does, as if they're not, you know, pursuing their own agenda. But all of that said, I think that the kind of hysterical McCarthyite reaction to someone like Marsha is 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 uh, is bizarre. You know, like I mean again, I don't, you know, I mean if he is a Putin enabler, then I don't I don't know what Putin has gotten out of it, right? I mean like like I don't I don't think that the I don't think he's seen a lot of benefit from this academic, you know, sort of shouting into the wind about, you know, uh, NATO expansion being a bad idea. And, um, and I guess, you know, I know I keep going back to this, but I mean, like, I, I just can't help thinking about the aftermath of 9-11 and the beginning of those wars, because um, all of this reminds me of nothing so much as, you know, that time when like the party line was, oh, uh, the only thing that motivates Al Qaeda is that they hate freedom, right? That's it, you know, full, full stop. And, you know, if you say that there are any sort of, you know, goals that might motivate them that are, that are more rationally explicable than that, right? You know, then you're making excuses for them. And, uh, and that same kind of stupidity really feels like it's at work here, right? Because of course, Look, the same way you can say, yes, I do think that, you know, Al-Qaeda had more complicated motivations than just hating freedom and, you know, that there are like actual U.S. policies they're objected to and all that. That doesn't mean that I'm actually for murdering thousands of office workers in New York. The same way you should be able to say, look, I think that there were, you know, mundane geopolitical goals that, that motivate, you know, that motivate Putin and other Russian decision makers 
And it's important to understand those goals because if we're ever going to have a negotiated settlement to stop it, you know, then, then it has to be based on that. But uh, of course, that doesn't mean that I think the invading the country, you know, was 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 justified. I mean, that that's that's lunacy. I mean, that and so. I mean, I, and I think a really easy way of seeing how those two issues are separated, right? the descriptive issue of what it is that motivates uh, Russia and the normative issue of whether they're then justified in doing what they're doing in response to those motivations is just to say, look, let's let's do the role reversal. Imagine the sub-scenario where, you know, the Warsaw Pact still existed and Mexico, you know, was was on the verge of uh, of, of joining it or at least they were pursuing it as a goal and, and, and the Warsaw Pact, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't rule it out or whatever. Um, and there was a civil war in Mexico between, you know, pro-Soviet and pro-American factions, et cetera. Okay, I think it's entirely possible the United States would invade Mexico in that scenario. And, um, you know, for the same reasons, you know, that, that Russia has invaded Ukraine to assert the sphere of influence. But also, I would be marching in anti-war protests if that happened, right? You know, so so I I I have nothing but sympathy for you know Russia's anti-war movement, but you know again we can we can understand we can understand why something is happening without without saying that therefore we think it's justified. I mean, and there is something very strange about the fact that there is this insistence, like the the persecution of uh, Marsheimer definitely falls into this, but I mean, like just in general, I've seen all of this insistence that anybody who thinks the expansion of NATO has anything to do with the causation of of what's happened must just be a Putin apologist. But um, and it's it, and in reality, NATO has nothing to do with anything. That's just an excuse. Meanwhile, in the real world, the actual negotiations that have been going on on and off. You know, basically, Russia and Ukraine, and you know, and, and other parties have actually involved. Like that is one of the real sticking points in those negotiations. You know, so that like the pretense that there isn't a real issue here is is just is just bizarre. And and I also don't know. Like, assume for the sake of argument that Marshimer is saying more than what I just said, right? Assume that he's he's going too far in the direction of saying that you know the that the Russians aren't. You know, don't have any agency. They're not pursuing their own agenda, or maybe even trying to justify something they've done. Even if you assume all of that, I would also say, so what? I mean, this is like one pretty marginal academic say these things. I mean, like how how much of a threat is that to anyone or anything? Well, it seems it is a very, very, very dangerous person since so much energy is mobilized against him. But maybe, especially that part with Russia and China, you know, I think right. he was not far from the truth and uh, people are getting so enraged, especially the elites to see that. Now, coming back to the left, I mean, for me, it was very disappointing. Of course, I'm not judging anyone, sure. but... I'm. I feel some. I feel somehow guilty because, as a mm. feminist and as a leftist, I was not. I was not discussing enough international relations, and mm. I was engaged myself. I'm not talking about others. I was so prone, and I was so, you know, uh, I would accuse so easily a man of being a fascist just for uh -huh. saying a sexist joke. Uh huh. It is me, Maria Cernat, who did that. And not paying attention to the broader context and to what's, what's happening in the international politics. And also, 
I interviewed, I think I am the only one in Romania, I interviewed Russian feminists, like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think, three or four, and I tried to establish some relations with them. But it was only when very bad things happened in Russia, extreme places of gender-based violence occurred that I contacted feminist organizations and lawyers. Maybe I should have done more. Because I think the only way to oppose war is not to train rebels, okay, right-wing extremists in Romania, is to build a solid international pacifist movement. And unfortunately, I think, I don't know, this is my case, I don't know what you think, but I also think that in in the United States, I don't see a lot of uh, Russian academics, leftists, uh, you know, the Communist Party in Russia is still very strong, but they are smeared because they are somehow conservative and they are, uh, you know, backward thinking. We are the progressive ones here in the United States. You in Russia, you are the descendants of the Bolshevik um, revolution, but you're no match for us <laughs> or things like that because we are so forward thinking in terms of gender identity and you are so backward and conservative. And unfortunately, I think that led to a very fragmented internationally speaking uh, left and there is no international pacifist leftist movement. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Do you have that kind of, or have you ever thought about, I don't know, getting in contact with people from, from Russia, uh-huh. from, with pacifists, with academics, building an alliance? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be really good. I mean, I don't, I certainly, a, uh, I think that probably the person who, uh, you know, the person who's geographically closest to uh, to that, who I know is you. So uh, I, I don't uh, <laughs> You know, I, I don't really know where I'd start, but I have a, but yeah, look, I mean, I certainly think that there, there should be, you know, there should be more of those, um, you know, there should be more of those contacts. I mean, like ultimately, you know, it's definitely true that what we need is a, um, you know, is a, is a global, uh, you know, is, is a, is a global peace movement. So I, I don't, um, you know, which is, uh, you know, which is one of the reasons, by the way, you know, that I, I think that the, I, I've been very disturbed by how, I want to be careful about how I put this because I don't want to accuse anybody of anything that might not be true, but I, I, I've, I think at least on a grassroots level, right? So I'm not saying anyone in particular, but just a general sense that I get from interacting with people that even many pretty progressive people here, I think are way too cavalier about uh, supporting, uh, or at least, you know, not, not really talking about sanctions that, uh, that, that really hurt ordinary people in, uh, in Russia, uh, because of course, one of the effects of that is that it, it makes it much harder you know, for, uh, I mean, you know, Russia does have an impressively large anti-war movement, but I mean, I think it, I think it, I think it isolates it, you know, because, you know, the more people are hurting there and the more that they, you know, can see, oh, well, that's because of these, you know, Western sanctions, then, um, then the harder it's going to be to go out into the streets and, you know, and, and, and take that position that could be interpreted as siding with the people, you know, who are, who are causing that suffering. Yes, and uh, the last thing uh, also, don't you think this cancel culture 
somehow mentally prepared us for this situation <laughs> where we cancel Russia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there is some, um, like, I, <laughs> I mean, I think that, I think it is, I guess what I will say about the connection between those two things is just that I think an awful lot of what we think of as cancel culture is really just a, a manifestation of of powerlessness that people have been that people, you know, when they can't do anything about, you know, things that really matter, you know, that they, they, they find, you know, they find some fight that they, they could actually win, even if it's just like getting somebody fired or socially isolated them, you know, and, uh, and, and it is, so you have these incredibly strange, silly, you know, symbolic battles that people, you know, invest all of this energy to. And, and you certainly see that since the, uh, since the war started, I mean, that there are, you know, like, God, I mean, just uh, uh, just off the top of my head, there's um, uh, Netflix canceled an adaptation of uh, Tolstoy, uh, uh, the uh, uh, a symphony in Canada that was, uh, that, uh, that canceled a planned concert of Tchaikovsky pieces, you know, because it would be inappropriate at this time, you know, uh, the International Space Conference, uh, you know, was originally, uh, the, the conference was named in honor of Yuri Gagarin, uh, who has been dead for 60 years and, uh, and whose country hasn't existed for 30 years, a country that, by the way, included Ukraine, uh, and, uh, but they, they, they couldn't honor him. They took the name off, you know, because it would be inappropriate at this time. Uh, there are restaurants that, uh, uh, that I don't know if people in Romania would know, uh, Bulgaria would know what this is, but uh, poutine is a... Uh, is a French Canadian dish. It's like French fries with gravy and stuff. And, uh, and it's their restaurants. They're no longer serving poutine because it sounds like Putin. Uh, <laughs> there are, uh, there are videos of bars and liquor stores pouring out vodka, you know, as a, some sort of gesture of, of something. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and, and more insidiously, you know, I mean, there, there are, um, people who've harassed or, you know, or, or, you know, uh, you know, left bad reviews for, or, you know, or made reservations they never intend to keep, et cetera, at Russian restaurants, because somehow people who own random Russian restaurants in New York are responsible, you know, for what the Russian government does. And, uh, and that does remind me of, you know, kind of the ugliest, but also sort of pettiest and most ridiculous aspects of cancel culture. Yes, I would say so. And also at the beginning when the war started, there is such a mass, mass hysteria in Romania that I was thinking I have here Tolstoy volumes, a lot of them. And I said to myself, if I go now into my backyard with a bucket, I put all the books there and I set them on fire, that will go viral. A star <laughs> will be born here in Dragomirești Hill <laughs> in Romania, in my small village, <laughs> right? Okay, so that was it, folks. So I, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and if you did, please go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the barricade. And to the extent that you can afford it, please make a monthly subscription, a donation, and support independent journalists for from Eastern Europe. Thanks so much, Ben, for he, being here with us. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Maria.